It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Father, I ask that you would freshly commission us, that we would hear uh, you say to each of us as individuals, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Lord, may we understand this commission. May we understand the sending of our Lord. May we understand the serious nature of it, the import of it. And Lord, may we respond appropriately. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, you can sort of understand why we somewhat diminish the sending call with a scripture like this. It's like, why does Jesus even say this? Because all it does is cause us to back up. Behold, I send you out. We're like, oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I'm sent by the king? Yes, as sheep in the midst of wolves. What? Uh, what, what kind of uh, finishing touch is that to this statement? In other words, we're, sh- we're sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, if you were to... If we were to just take our time and evaluate that particular uh, metaphoric picture, the sheep are the meal in that one. The wolves des- desire to devour the sheep, and yet we are being sent out on purpose. This is like God's plan that he would send us out as what would appear to be the weaker one, the vulnerable one, in the midst of the fierce. And the thing that I, I think we should just remember in this, and obviously he's not speaking to us as individuals, he's speaking to his disciples, but we recognize that this crescendos, this cascades down through the history of the church, this is a commission to all of us. We are all likened uh, unto those initial disciples where we're given a specific commission to go into this world. And this world has not changed since then. And the fact that we are built as sheep has not changed. And the fact that the world seems to uh, still be wolf-like, has not changed. So the character I wanted to emphasize today was Eliezer the steward, which if you were here for the semester, you're familiar with Eliezer. And uh, he is what the Hebrew word would call the meshech of Abraham's household. He is the son of possession or the son of the inheritance. And Abraham doesn't have a son of his own. And so... But God is going to overrule that reality, and he's going to change Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude, and he says, I'm going to give you a son. It's going to be a supernatural son. We know him as Isaac. And what's interesting is this guy gets displaced. This guy was, in order to, in in priority order, to inherit the estate, the kingdom of Abraham, basically. And instead, he takes a lower position and becomes subservient to Isaac. And uh, when, when I taught on Eliezer during the semester, I likened him to a picture of the Holy Spirit, but he's also likened unto a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. And the reason I say it, because you can say, how can he be both, is because when the Holy Spirit moves into us, he does what Eliezer does in us. So this is the way that the Holy Spirit is. Eliezer, even the name uh, itself, means God is our helper, or God is the helper. And of course, that is an incredible statement that matches with what Jesus teaches of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. But then when God, who is the helper, moves inside of us, what's he going to do? He's going to make us one 
that is a helper. And we will become like Eliezer the steward. And what's interesting about Eliezer the steward is he's a sent one. He is. So Abraham, who's symbolic of the father uh, in this story, is going to send forth his servant into another country to find the bride for his son Isaac. And I mean, you can't get a greater parallel with the Great Commission than that. And so I think it's appropriate to at least read it in Genesis 24. Now Abraham was old and well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please, put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying to your descendants I give this land he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you then you will be released from this oath only do not take my son back there. Isn't that interesting that he's going to over and over again say do not take Isaac there. But what a strange model to send a servant in proxy for uh, the son. I mean, it's a strange way to find a bride, but there seems to be something very clear here, and that is that Abraham knows that God has commissioned him to dwell in this land, the land of Canaan, and yet the people of Canaan are under judgment. He knows that too. So he doesn't want to take a wife from there, but he wants to get a wife from back in his homeland, but he doesn't want his son to go back there, fall in love, and stay there. He knows where his son is supposed to be, and so it's just more of a fascinating uh, reference there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Multiple things in here, and if you've ever heard me teach on this little passage, I, there's all sorts of fascinating uh, dimension to it. Uh, first off, you know, when I'm saying that this is Eliezer the steward, that is a educated guess. Okay? There's, there's a lot of reasons why I think that, and I think it's profound uh, that it would be, uh, but technically I can't prove that in a test tube. But I'm going to still run from the premise that it is Eliezer the steward. It just makes sense in every regard. Uh, what's interesting is Eliezer still has, just like the Holy Spirit would have, full access to all the resource of the kingdom. All the resource of Abraham and Isaac is at his disposal, so he takes 10 camels. But same with us, we are the sent ones, and like Eliezer, we have everything that we need to carry out the task. And I think we oftentimes forget that, especially when we're poor, starving Ellerslie students. We forget that we actually have been given all that we need for life and for godliness. And so most of us would emphasize that we have all that we need for godliness. I have all that I need for godliness. And that, I mean, that's a revelation to us, and we get, you know, most of us, it takes a while for us that to sink in, that everything you need to live as Christ has called you to live, everything that you, that you need to love as Christ would have you love, everything that you would need to believe as Christ would have you believe, everything that you would need to suffer as Christ would have you suffer, you have it. It's everything you need for godliness. 
but you also have everything you need for life. In other words, all of this thing known as life has demands on it. And I'm sure you've had that conversation with guys like, God, you know, I'm trying to fulfill your purposes and there's a few things that I feel shortchanged on. You're actually not shortchanged. What you're doing is you're anticipating the fact that if this keeps going, you will be shortchanged. But right now, you're fine. Look at you. You're breathing. You're, you're living. You see, you have what you need in the moment, but you know that just around the corner you don't have it, and God, you're sort of going to need to give it to me now so I can rest, because if I don't have it now, I'm going to be stressed out the whole way from here to there. And so we need to recognize that we have everything we need for life. And that's what you're going to see in this. This is the sent one. He is being sent on a great commission. He is commissioned by the Father to go into a faraway land and retrieve a bride. This is, this is us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in the saints. Because the way the Holy Spirit has chosen to actually win the bride is to use us to do it. We are like Eliezer the servant, the steward. And so we have been given a job description. We are not the son. We are not the focal point, that's Isaac. We are trying to win a bride to him, not to ourselves. And that's what's amazing about this story is this servant doesn't draw the attention to himself. He draws the bride to Isaac. And so, just as the Holy Spirit's job is to do the exact same with us unto Christ, so the Holy Spirit is working in us to do this work of the sent ones. Built for anything and everything. So you need to recognize that you have everything you need for life and for godliness, and you're gonna need it. You see, we are being constructed by the Holy Spirit for every possible, every conceivable challenge, too, along the way. So everything you need for life and godliness. Well, there's gonna be plenty of moments when you're gonna need all that you need for life because there's going to be an enemy of your soul and an enemy of your body that are gonna try and destroy you and get you off track. And you're going to need all of that grace that God has supplied for you. And there's going to be moments along the way where you're gonna need everything you need for godliness because along the way you're going to have a tempter, you're going to have circumstances that are going to war against godliness and the behavior of God coming forth out of your life. And so you're going to need all that God has supplied for you to carry out this errand that he has given you. So we need to be built, well, for anything and built for everything. And so just to give you a list uh, that we can meditate upon of a few anythings and everythings that you know uh, you'll need to be built for. So Paul says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. So we could just stop right there and say, okay, guys, we need the Holy Spirit to prepare us for 39 lashes. And even just being prepared for that once, I mean, that is enough. I mean, that's it's right at the edge of death uh, for the human body to receive that much, to lose that much blood, to go through that much exquisite pain. Paul went through this five times. And so it's sort of like, could you imagine Paul saying, okay, all right, guys, uh, uh, the, the leadership team at Ellerslie invited me in here to uh, give you sort of a list of what you should start working on right now so that you're ready for anything and everything. And so I don't know exactly how I got here. I mean, I lived uh, 2,000 years ago, but whew, this is weird. I'm here right now. So I just wanted to give you a quick 
laundry list of what you're going to need to be prepared for in the upcoming years of your life. Okay, so I just want you to be ready to receive uh, 39 lashes at least five times. Okay, so uh, now I just want to remind you that you have everything you need for life. And you have everything you need for godliness in the midst of that. Isn't that an amazing thought that everything you need to live in this body, everything you need to carry out this commission is supplied to you. Now, most of us, now, if we've, since we've never witnessed someone receiving 39 lashes, I don't think we really get it, right? We don't know how hard that would be. And so if you could re- you know, replace that with one of the most difficult, most arduous physical things you could ever endure, and then recognize that you've been given everything you need. If God is leading you through it, you will have precisely what you need to endure it. You need to trust that right now. And you will have everything you need to respond as God would respond in the midst of it. Isn't that an incredible thought? You have been supplied everything you need to be seriously sent. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep not sure what that looks like. Uh, a night and a day I've spent in the deep. Hmm. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst often, in hunger and thirst often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Wouldn't it be funny if we made our little list? Wouldn't it be pathetic? We like, and once, I experienced some, some difficulty. You know, it's like this pathetic little story that we're gonna have on there. In other words, what we are being built for is so much bigger than what we've gone through now. And here's what I just wanna remind you of. It seems to be a recurring theme. You have been given everything you need for whatever you're called to. And you can just rest in that right now. You might as well just get a smile on your face and go, huh. So that, mean, that means, Eric, that nothing is going to be assigned to me that is greater than what I've been given grace for. That's right. So as a result, you might as well not concern yourself with it. You see, a lot of us, uh, you remember the story of Corrie Ten Boom when she asks her father, she's concerned that she won't be able to deal with the persecution and suffering. Uh, if she's ever asked to give up her life for Jesus, she's, she was concerned about that. And so when she was a young girl, she asked her father uh, this, Father, how do I know, or Papa, how do I know that I'll be able to endure uh, that, that suffering, that I would be able to die for Jesus? I, I just feel like I'm weak. He goes, Corey, uh, <clears throat> when we go on the train, when do I give you the ticket? Well, right before we go on. So it is with your heavenly Father. He will supply you everything you need for such a trial when you reach it, not before. And so for us, we oftentimes measure our ability to go through a future difficulty based on what we feel right now. And we feel weak right now. (laughs) We don't feel like we have what we need for that trial ahead. But do you have in your own pockets that which you need to face that trial ahead? No, but do you have that which you need to face that trial? Yes, how do you have it? By faith, in his word. By faith in Christ. You have it in Christ. You have all that you need for life and for godliness. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. What? (laughs) 
Now, you do know how Jesus was sent. In other words, we just looked at the sending of Paul, and yet Jesus' life was exquisitely challenging. He went to a cross. He was falsely accused and hung naked on a tree. The Father sent him for that purpose and supplied him with everything he needed to carry it out. And so Jesus is saying, hey, guys, by the way, just as I was sent, so you were being sent. Oh, great. Wonderful. Thumbs up on that one. You see, Jesus is meaning that as as an encouragement to you. (laughs) This is great. Just as he was sent to the Father to carry that glory, to carry that message, now we as the church are being sent. He's like, get a big smile on your face. Isn't that exciting? You see, this is seriously being sent. We are being sent to carry something, to do something that is not normal in life. It is, it is different than the rest of the world. The world doesn't naturally gravitate towards what we are being commissioned to do. But the Spirit of God cheers. When the Spirit of God moves inside of us, have you ever noticed that you find yourself desiring to do weird things? Like Some of the things that's, that you guys have been having hatch inside of your hearts and your minds are weird things. It's like, why do you want to do that? Like I talked to someone uh, yesterday that wants to go to the Middle East. It's like, well, who in their right mind as a Christian would want to go to the Middle East? Don't they know that there's hazards there? Some of you want to work with orphans. It's like, did you? Orphans are needy. Why would you want to do that? Don't you recognize that there's easier things to do in life than that? And yet, strangely, you're attracted to a more difficult life. Isn't that just odd? You see, the Spirit of God is taking over. And when the Spirit of God takes over, you find that the inconvenient things in life that someone else is going, I wouldn't spend time on that, actually become intriguing to you. Most people look at my life and they're like, what a miserable existence. You know, I remember we talked about public speaking being like one of the greatest fears in all of life, right up there with with pain and death. Well, obviously, my chosen profession is a strange one because I do it all day long every day, right? It's like, what a strange life, and, and I love it. I enjoy it. Isn't that an odd thought? I, I have found myself at so many junctures desiring to do things that when I pause and I stop, I go, that's strange. Why am I desiring to do that? And yet, it's a work of grace inside of me. God matches you, matches even your desires with what he's commissioning you to do, if you allow him to. The Spirit of God will change your desire to match what he wants you to be doing on this earth. So for you, it's not misery. For you, it's delight. So uh, you have to go way back in the Ellerslie archives to get to this word. And I used to mispronounce it before I understood how to pronounce the Greek. So I'm going to see if I can pronounce it correctly. I don't even want to tell you how I mispronounced it because I mispronounced it for years. And I have so many graduates that still to this day mispronounce this word thanks to Eric Ludi. This is a hard one for me because I I know how I used to pronounce it and that's still what I want to default to, but I'm trying not to. Ekekekio. Ekekekio. Ekekeo. It has a K in there. Ekekekio. Ekekeo. Okay, so we're going to skip over the pronunciation of this, which is a hard one for me. And we're going to call it spiritual flab. How about that? Because I can say that. Spiritual flab. So 
have you ever seen someone that uh, is just getting a little out of shape and they have a little ring around the middle and when they move around it goes bloop, bloop, bloop? <laughs> That's what can easily happen spiritually to all of us. You see, God desires us to be ready to go. And if you are given a commission, I don't know if you've ever heard of the phenomenon of someone going hunting and they've moved their body once a year, you know, because they, you know, they're getting rather large and then they go hunting once a year, they move, okay, and they go into the forest and they kill this huge elk and then they try and drag it out and they die of a heart attack, okay? It's actually a phenomenon amongst hunters uh, that many men have died <laughs> going hunting because they're not in shape for the battle. They, they esteem it. They want it, but when the battle comes, they rise up to meet it, but they're not ready for it. And that's what this is. This is empty of the fighting spirit, exhausted, wearied, tired, or faint. So this is the lack of sharpness in our spiritual life. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. So that's the equivalent of saying we do not get flabby. We do not let go of the sharpness of our soul. And then again, for this which cause, the glory of God, we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I wish I didn't have to have this slide come up because now I have to say it again. Noah Kekeo. Noah Kekeo. How's that? Is that helpful to you? That's the marching orders for us right there. No flab. So if I was your physical trainer and I saw a little flab getting there around your belly, then I'm going to whip you into shape. And that's the way the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit desires us to be sharp, desires us to be tuned in, desires us to be healthy. Have you ever noticed the difference in your body when you are in shape and when you're out of shape? I mean, that's probably just a rhetorical question, right? But to get in shape is actually very difficult. It's the hardest part. To stay in shape is actually not where the difficulty is. It's to get in shape. To get out of shape is the, most, is the easiest thing of all. Boy, I tell you what, there's nothing easier than to get out of shape. To get into shape is the most difficult thing. But then to stay in shape is the Christian life. So for many of us, we're, we ride that front edge of just trying to get into shape and to be sound in our, in our walk with Christ. Once you're there... Maintaining it is the essence of how we live out Christianity. But many of us stunt and are stymied in the very beginning. So I have a, a story in my past, and this, this slide says, when I was invited to the Denver Broncos training camp. Sounds very impressive, I know. I, I, I wish I didn't have to acknowledge that this was in a dream. Uh, but I always felt like I could play professional football. I know when you look at me, you're thinking, uh, however... You know, that's the way we tend to be. In our own minds, we can think rather lofty thoughts of ourselves. okay? And so growing up, I have the ability to catch footballs better than most people on earth. It's just a strange thing. I can just reach out, grab a football anywhere. So I played catch all growing up with my dad. My dad would throw, I would run, I'd dive, I'd catch. I'd catch everything, right? And so I was thinking, yeah, you know what? I may not look like a football player, and I might not be the size of a football player, but you put me out there and I'm going to catch the ball, right? So I had this all figured out, but no one ever gave me the time of day when it came to football. So I had to play other sports, you know, because I, I wasn't built like a football player. My mom made that clear to me too. Eric, you're just not built like a football player. You're built more like a golfer. And so I was built like a golfer uh, and I didn't want to be a golfer. I wanted to be a football player. 
So Leslie and I were going through this season. So we're married. Uh, this is maybe 12, yeah, somewhere around 12 years ago. And we're praying around three hours a day. It was an intensive season. The book Wrestling Prayer comes out of this season. And so we'd been praying for, I don't know, close to a year like this every day uh, in the morning and in the evening. We were totaling uh, usually three hours minimum. I mean, it was a, a huge amount of givenness to prayer. And if you read the book Wrestling Prayer, you'll understand that season a, a little better. Uh, but it was a very significant season, and Ellerslie even is going to come out of that season. And so Leslie and uh, I think Hudson and Harper, I think Harper was uh, just young, young and newly born at the time, they are headed down to Texas. And so it was just going to be me at the house. And there's something about being at the house alone when you are like me with my personality. I'm thinking, boy, I can get some things done. And so I like create my list of things I'm gonna get done. And while Leslie and the kids are gone, I mean, I am so productive and I love to be productive. I don't know how many of you are like that. You love to create your list and then check it off and then stare at your list and you get this certain satisfaction from accomplishing a lot of things. And so I had my list and I was checking it off and I think I even kept things on the list, you know, the next day just to sort of show myself that I got it done yesterday. Uh, and I, I trimmed down my prayer time a little uh, in this because I, I, I was really in a, a rhythm. And so my prayer time sort of began to diminish and with every passing day, it was like a little less. I was still praying. Don't get me wrong, I was still praying, but it's like, hey God, I know that you understand that uh, I have some great stuff I can get done right now. So I was uh, getting a lot done. Now there was something that I had developed in this time uh, and that was, the ability to wake up any time of the night and pray. And this is one, one of the things that I had labored to have the Spirit of God train me in. So if he wanted to wake me up at two in the morning, I would wake up and I could pray. I know it sounds impossible, but that's what it was for me too. It was impossible, and then the Spirit of God was building this into me. It was an extreme sharpness of soul. And so I was just ready at any moment for the Spirit of God to call on me. Doesn't that sound amazing? So that was then, and then I had this week and this one week, I was getting so much done. I was staying up late and every night, and I was still praying. But if I could just sort of let you in on the backside, I was losing my sharpness because my focus was no longer on Christ during this week. It was on getting things done, which I love to do. I'm just a sucker for getting things done. And so I was very busy uh, in that week. And I remember one night, uh, it was late, uh, it was probably like midnight or one, and I was getting into bed, and I was totally exhausted, you know, because Leslie's going to be coming back in a couple days, you know, because she was gone for about a week, and I, I still had a few things I was trying to get done. I was staying up late that night, and I didn't really have time for my prayer time before I went to bed. You know, they kept getting smaller and smaller with every passing day. It was just for this week, and then next week, I'll get back into that, okay? You know how you tell yourself those things? And so this night, I, I remember I was staying up late, and uh, I was so exhausted. When, when we got done, when we, when I got done with all my work and I was headed to bed, and I remember laying in bed, and it was around you know, midnight to one, like I was saying, and I was so exhausted, my, I felt like my brain was being sucked into the pillow. You ever had that where you're like, oh, it's like almost painfully tired, like, oh, oh. And I remember I had the thought, God, I'm just so glad you're not asking me to stay up and pray. Yeah, I had the thought. And, you know, like, God, I know you're so gracious, and you'll just let me sleep right now. And right at that moment, when I'm like, ah, 
I feel like God speaks to me and says, Eric, would you stay up and pray? <laughs> and I, I mean, I rebuked it. I rebuked the devil in that moment. There's just no way. Uh, and I... I could not stay awake, and so I went to sleep, believing that God would not do that to me. And in the night, I had a dream. <laughs> this is like a movie scene right here. And in the night, I have a dream, and in the dream, Mike Shanahan, who was the coach of the Denver Broncos at the time, calls me up. And Mike Shanahan is on the phone, and he says, Eric, uh, we wanted to know if you would come out and try out for the Denver Broncos. Now remember, this is my lifelong dream, okay? And I always felt like if you'd give me a chance, I could prove that I am pro football material, okay? You just need to give me the chance. And I suddenly had the chance. Now what's weird about this time frame in my life is I, I had always been in shape in my life, always. And I, I used to work out twice a day. Uh, and now I hadn't worked out for months. I mean, I had these young kids and my life was just, you know, I'm praying a lot and at the time I usually would work out. And I wasn't in the sharpness of physical readiness as I had always been, right? And so that's what's immediately going through my head. Out of all the times, he doesn't say, hey, I want you to come in three months. I want you to get in shape in the meantime. He says, could you show up today? And I'm thinking, what? Out of all the times, it's when I'm not in shape that he calls on me? And so, I'm like, yeah, yeah, sir, yes, sir, uh, this is great. Uh, so I'm like feeling a little out of it like I don't I'm not ready for this but hey this is my once in a lifetime chance Do you know that chance that I'd been hoping for my entire life well it didn't come and so I show up at the Broncos training camp this is in my dream by the way just in case some of you uh, happen to be coming in late to the stream or something and think higher thoughts of Eric Clooney than I deserve <laughs> and so I show up and we're doing these things like the uh, the tires you know where you're going through the tires and I was tripping everywhere, falling all over the place. I couldn't do anything. And I was upset. I was mad the whole while because I'm like, this isn't actually who I am. I'm better than this. I'm, I'm actually able to do things like this, but you called me and didn't give me any warning. Now, I didn't say all that. I was thinking all that in my dream. I was upset. I was mad. Mad at who? I don't know. Okay, but I was just mad. And then I wake up. It's in the morning. I'm mad. Because <laughs> I know I didn't make the team. I mean, but it wasn't my fault. They just, they didn't give me any warning. They just like, hey, come to training camp right now. I mean, you, come on, give me at least three months. You can't just ask me to be ready at all times. So I come into the bathroom. I'm mad, brushing my teeth. How could they, you at least give me a few months to get in shape instead of, <laughs> just calling on me just out of nowhere and it was then as I'm brushing my teeth that God in his ever sensitive gentle way makes it very clear to me that uh, this is precisely where I was at spiritually Eric you could be in shape your entire life but if you lose that edge at the critical moment I wanted to do something in your life last night and you were not sharp to heed me. Why did I feel that one? I mean, he was right. I mean, I saw it. I had justified for this week. I mean, it's just a week. It's a week, and I wasn't doing, like, bad stuff. 
I was doing work that would help my family, that would help our ministry. I was doing stuff, but I was taking my eye off what he had assigned me. And it was clear what he'd assigned me. So, oh boy, I felt that one. And that's, that's what that screen represents to me. So in other words, it was a reproof and a rebuke from the Holy Spirit, not because he doesn't love me, but because he loves me. Eric, you lose that sharpness. It's so easy to lose it. It is so hard to gain it and then to keep it. And you'd been keeping it for about a year straight. And where I could, he could wake me up at any time and I would be sharp and ready. Now suddenly, here I am. And he says, Eric, would you pray with me? And it's like, ah. And I immediately go to sleep. And even rebuke it. I mean, how, that's just in a few days that that was happening. So I want you to recognize the seriousness of the sending that we have received. God is sending us into this world, and we must recognize that we are sheep among wolves. And that we can complain all we want about the fact that, hey, you can't just call on me when I'm not in shape, God. We need to be ready always. And we never know when that commission is going to come. When he's going to say, would you pray with me tonight? We need to be dispositioned to be sent. You see, the key for any soldier in the as the historic picture, I remember someone sharing with me this. I don't know where it comes from, what nation it comes from or anything, but it was a soldier that came before the king, bends down, submits his sword to his king, and then waits in his presence. And the king could be busy doing other things. Meanwhile, the soldier waits, and at a certain time, the, the, the king says to the soldier, it's time, and he gives him a clear commission. But meanwhile, that soldier needs to be ready and in a position to hear and in a position to respond with his weaponry close by. In other words, where we are ready to be sent as opposed to caught off guard by Mike Shanahan in the middle of the night being asked to go to Broncos training camp and then looking like a fool. And of course, is this a scriptural concept? Oh yes. The 10 virgins is the ultimate statement of this exact story. In other words, you have 10 that are all acquainted with the fact that a bridegroom is coming. It's not that five knew and the other five are totally in ignorance on it. All 10 knew what was happening. All 10 knew the commission. You have a lamp. You need oil in this lamp because you don't know when the bridegroom is going to come. You have a lamp. It is your very body, your very life. And it needs to be filled and ready so that you can light it in that moment when the bridegroom comes. You see, you are needing to be in a position of the five virgins with, not the five virgins without. Now, in my life, believe me, I can testify of so many times when I've gotten out of shape. It is so easy. If if I were to take my, what is it, 29 years, this is my, I don't know, this is my 30th year of serious Christianity. I mean, I grew up since I was five, so I could say 43 years of Christianity, but it's been around 30 years of serious Christianity for Eric Ludi. And if we were to map those out and say, so Eric, have you always been like sharp? No. No? You see, I would have told you I was sharp, but I didn't know how to discern between dull and sharp when I first started. So I would start out sharp and then I would just suddenly become dull because I didn't know how to keep my fervor. I didn't know how to keep the fire lit. You see, have you ever had it where you're around a 
a campfire and you know, you're warm and then you move away from the campfire and what happens? You get cold. Why? Because you were being warmed by something other than a portable fire. You see, the Holy Spirit is supposed to live inside of you. And so at first at Christianity, we oftentimes warm ourselves next to an environment. So as long as we're like at Ellerslie, then we feel warm. But the moment we leave it, we get cold. And I had to learn the same thing in my life. It's like, whoa, God, why is it that when I'm in this environment, I feel sharp? I feel like I can pray. I feel like I can study the word. But the moment I leave it, I feel like I dull. What's going on? I had to learn how to cultivate this life and then how to keep it that way. And the same is true. If any of you are athletes, you recognize that you, you learn how to stay in shape. You learn how your body functions. And you learn you know, how it's going, when to wake up in the morning. Like, for instance, I've always... Uh, well, I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about the 4.30 a.m. test, but it's funny because 4.30 a.m. is just a bad time for my body. I don't know why. Five is fine. It doesn't make any sense to me, even mentally. It's like, why is 4.30 so hard? In fact, it's easier for me to wake up at 4 than it is 4.30. It's a rhythm thing in my body, and it seems to always have been that way. And so as a result, whenever God asks me to start getting up at 4.30, I know what he's saying. He's like, are you willing to start your day in weakness? Are you willing to live in dependence? It's like, oh, 4.30. 4.30 is a weird time for my body. Five, eh, that's, that's not a challenge. And so I could act all spiritual. Go, I get up at five. However, that's actually not that spiritual. That's easy for me. 4.30, now that's spiritual. That's hard for me. And yet, whatever God is asking of Eric Ludi is what I want to say yes, Lord, too. I want to be in shape for 4.30 a.m., I don't want to blame the fact that I cannot get up at 4.30 on my body. I want to say, God, you've given me everything I need for life and for godliness. Everything you need to be one of the virgins with is exactly what you've been supplied. And so as a result, you need to stake claim to that afresh. Remember the question we, we started out with? Do you have that which you need in your own pockets in order to live out this always ready, seriously sent life? No, you don't have it in your own pockets, but do you have it? Yes. You have everything you need in Christ Jesus to thrive in your spiritual walk, to be ready always. No downtime, the principle of 100%. So this is what God was teaching me in that exact week was my lesson. It's like, okay, I recognize that the moment I have downtime is the moment I can lose my edge. And so as a result, many of us have a, a certain thought process. It's like, well, I've been serious for Jesus for three straight days. So I should at least have like one day where I don't need to be serious. And so as a result, we have all sorts of different things that fill in the gaps for a day that would be not serious for Jesus. In other words, we know what it means to be serious for Jesus, and we sort of know what it means to not be serious for Jesus. Like there's certain movies, it's like, uh, you know, this would be a not serious for Jesus type of movie. <laughs> this would be a, well, not watching the movie is probably serious for Jesus type of uh, movie, right? And so we have these tensions in us, and we're like, well, but I can't just live this serious life always. I need to have some gap. I need to have some, quote, unquote, downtime. And so for me, one of the key principles is no downtime. Doesn't that sound like a depressing life? And that's the way my brain was functioning with it, too. 
No downtime. You see, God is the one that makes us lie down in green pastures. However, even when we're lying down in green pastures, you know that we're fully abiding in him? We don't have a detach period. We're like, you know what? I abide for three days and then I detach from God and I vacate. I go on a vacation from God for a day. It just isn't how it works. We abide 100% of the time. And yet we have to trust that God knows what we need. He, he gives his beloved rest and he makes us lie down in green pastures and he restores our soul. Our job is to stay focused on him. Our job is to give ourselves to him, but not like Martha, but like Mary. In other words, we abide. We share our life with him. We trust that his living sap is going to be sufficient for us. And I've had this tested so many times in my life. When I first had young kids, I tell you what, that was probably one of the biggest tests that I had, simply because they don't go away. They're just like always there. And when they're young, I mean, it's actually a lot easier now that the youngest is close to eight. It's funny to say that because some people say, oh, the teen years. Uh, believe me, I, as far as this principle goes, it's little young kids that never run out of energy that don't like sleep. My kids like to go to bed now. You know, it's like, what a nice feature. Uh, but when they're young, I tell you what, they, they're always needing attention. They're, and if you don't give them attention, they're jumping over a bridge or something. And so you have to constantly be on that, that alert. And so it drains you at a certain level, especially when they leave rubble behind them everywhere you go. You clean the house and then they like ruin it. And so you're constantly picking things up no matter where they go. And so it's a certain labor. And I remember even coming home from work and feeling exhausted, right? And that's just coming home. But then when you get home, you're, you're full on daddy mode, okay? Because daddy, when he has a whole bunch of kids, they haven't seen daddy all day. And so now it's no downtime is what I literally whispered to myself as I would walk in through the door, no downtime. And it, my, my statement is, the principle of 100%, is I may have 5% left in the tank. 5%. In other words, Eric's fading. So what do I do with that 5%? Do I hoard it? My 5%. Hey kids, leave me alone. I only have 5% left. No downtime. The principle of 100% is, okay, God, I have 5% left in my tank. It's yours. Spend it. You know what I have found in my life is that when I've gone down into wrestling position uh, with my 5% and all the kids start jumping on me and I feel like I'm going to fall over and go to sleep, as they're crawling on me, that God gives grace. That when I do what I know to do and I keep moving forward, that God supplies a supernatural dimension of strength that is not of this world. It's of heaven. And so our job is to be ready and to not make excuses, to not justify our detachment from the vine but to remain in a ready position because you never know when you're going to get that call from Coach Shanahan. Father, we love you, and we ask that you'd prepare us for the day when Coach Shanahan calls, that you'd prepare us for the day when we are readied to stand in the Valley of Elah against Goliath, that you would ready us for the day, Lord Jesus, that you have commissioned us for. Lord, you have given us everything we need for life and godliness, and I pray that we would procure that today, that we would freshly 
ratify and reckon it ours. Lord, this is for you, for your glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.